0: All right, as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're continuing our walk through 1 Peter. We'll be there most of this year. We've titled this series, uh, A Life That Demands a Gospel Explanation. And it would be super super easy to hear that, especially as believers, and think to yourself, yes, that's the life I want to live. I want to live that radical, crazy life that causes people to look at me and scratch their heads and wonder, like, why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do that? That's weird. And I could tell them because of Jesus. And so what do I do to live that kind of life? What steps do I need to take? What kind of program do I need to be on to live a life that demands a gospel explanation so that other people can be amazed at Jesus in my life? And it, it can kind of be like the social media ads we see uh, all the time, the 30-day the push-up challenge or the 30-day the uh, carnivore challenge. Uh, Jennifer told me uh, one that some are doing this year, the 1,000-hour challenge. Have your kids playing outside for 1,000 hours in 2023? Um, So they can get off their devices and be active, and that will make them better kids, I'm sure. Or you might be doing one of the book challenges. Read a book a day, a book a week, a book a month to make yourself a healthier version of yourself. We're inundated with plans to make us a better version of us. And deep down, we all want that. And some of us do these things. Nothing wrong with those things. But without what we'll see in this section of 1 Peter today, without this, it will never happen. We'll never become a better version of ourselves. We'll never be able to obey the things God wants us to obey. It's total futility. But with what we'll see in this passage today, if this is true of us, then it's all possible. It's all possible. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of god for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the of the grass the grass withers the flower fails but the word of the lord endures forever and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you peter has made the call earlier in verse 15 for us to be conducting ourselves with holiness. He says, the one who called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct. And he connected that, this back to the Old Testament by quoting verse, uh, in verse 16, Leviticus 19, be holy because I am holy. And Jesse pointed out a few weeks ago, this, this means being set apart. It's one of the primary ways that God is God. He alone and all of creation is holy, holy, holy. There's no one and nothing like him. You alone, we just sang, God are this loving and this true and this holy. He's distinct, unique, completely other, and we as his people are called and created to live lives that are also set apart. Distinct, other, holy. And 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 it is supposed to be in accordance with his character and his nature. We're not living different lives just to be different. There's plenty of people who do that. They're odd just to be odd. They're weird. Just to be weird. We can just open your phone and you'll find thousands of people like that. Maybe some of you. I don't know. That's not the calling for us to be set apart and distinct, just to be set apart and distinct. It's to be set apart and distinct as God is in, in accordance with his character and his nature. And there's going to be plenty of, plenty of examples of this as we walk through 1 Peter. And we see a key one today in verse 22. From a pure heart, love one another constantly. Later in chapter 4, we'll dig into uh, verses 7 and 8. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus has come and and been made known, and so we are in the last days, that we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. The next event on God's calendar we're waiting for is the return of Christ. It can happen at any time, the Bible says in some places. In other passages, it's a long way off. The gospel will be proclaimed in all nations until the, uh, the kingdom of God will be proclaimed in all nations, and then the end will come. So we don't know. So that's why we live alert, sober-minded for prayer. We don't know when he's going to return. It's next. And then above all, he says in verse 8, the most important thing to remember and do is to maintain constant love for one another. This is huge. And one way we live a set-apart life, a life that demands a gospel explanation, is by how we love one another, how we treat one another. And this love, in fact, is only possible through the gospel at work in us, but it's always possible through the work of the gospel in us. The passage is kind of like a sandwich. The meat of the sandwich in this call to, is this call to love. The bread are these two reminders of how the gospel changes us to make this love possible. So we see the first slice of the bread in verse 22. Since you have, been pure, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other." Now, what is Peter saying here? You might It might seem as though it's our obedience to say God's commands that's causing us to be purified. Like our obedience is, is sanctifying us. But the key to understanding this is, what does he mean by the truth, obedience to the truth? Is he referring to God's commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors, yourself, the Ten Commandments, some other commands. Or does he mean something else? Now, notice what Peter says. Our souls have been purified by our obedience to this truth, and the outcome is so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. Or some of your translations will say for you to show sincere brotherly love. So if he's referring to obey the truth, obey the Old Testament law, obey the commands of God, which would include loving your neighbor as yourself, how can the outcome also be part of the process? Obey commands, like love your neighbor, so you can love your neighbor. That doesn't seem to really add up. seems to be inconsistent. But there are other passages that help us see That the truth in this context isn't referring to the law, the Old Testament, or God's commands, but the gospel, the gospel itself. And in fact, obedience to the truth is another way of saying, put your faith and hope in the gospel. This is what's purifying us. This is what's causing us to be able to show a sincere brotherly love to one another. Some, some other evidences to help support this. You may remember similar language of our conversion to the gospel used by James in James 1.18. By his God's own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will, we are created, given birth by the word of truth, another way of describing our conversion by God's will through his gospel or the truth. This language of verse 22 of 1 Peter is conversion language, not sanctification language. And we also see Peter echoing this call of what he says in verse 23 through 25 of what he starts off in verse 22. So verse 22, after we're called to love one another from a pure heart, Peter writes, since you've been born again. So you're being purified By putting your faith and hope in the gospel, this is giving you a sincere brotherly love. So now love each other this way. And then on the back end, the other part of the sandwich, since you've been born again. This love is possible because you've been born again. How? Through the living, enduring word of God, which is, verse 25, the good news proclaimed to you. So so see the sandwich working You reveal this. Verse 23 through 25 is basically another way of saying what Peter is describing in verse 22. See the connection, see this, this connection in another passage. That genuine faith in the truth of the gospel leads to love. 1 Timothy 1.5. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. It's where love comes from. We, we don't have this love until we have Jesus, So we don't have Jesus until we believe in Jesus, and we have the gospel alive inside of us. Being born again through the gospel can also be described as obedience to the gospel of truth. Later in 1 Peter, Peter describes those who are not believers, not part of the household of God, as those who don't obey the gospel of God. 1 Peter 4.17, for the time of has come for judgment to begin with God's house, and if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? Non-members of God's household are those who don't obey the gospel. And then see also the immediate context before this passage. Look at verse 20. Jesse walked us through this last week. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you through him you believe God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus, the one whose precious blood, more precious than silver or gold, this Jesus was made known to us. God already knew him. The plan for Jesus to come and give his blood for our sins was something that was done in the before the foundation of the world. It wasn't like plan B. It was plan A. So God already knew this. Jesus to us had to be revealed. This work, this redemptive work of Jesus. Now that it's revealed, this Jesus, whom God raised from the dead and glorified, this Jesus through whom we are believers in God. Jesus is the access for us to God. And the very end of verse 21, so that our faith and hope are in God through Jesus. And this goes right into verse 22. Since you've purified yourself by your obedience to the truth or put your faith and hope in the gospel, purify or cleanse is to remove that which doesn't belong we renounce and move our hearts and minds away from all the other things that we could put our faith and hope into for salvation and we put our faith and hope our minds and hearts solely on the only one who can save the crucified and resurrected Jesus who did die for our sins but is now alive in us to make all this possible so verse 22 one piece of bread The other piece of bread is verse 23 through 25. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And in quoting Isaiah 46, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like a flower of the grass, the grass withers, the flower fails. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. This idea of being born again has become a bad word in some christian circles uh, a born again christian or born again evangelical over the last 40 years has carried a lot of political baggage even as anything else so much so that for some being born again is a version of being a christian but it's not necessary not everyone has to be born. i can be a christian because I'm a member of this church, and I believe in these truths, and I'm saying Jesus is my Savior, but I'm not going to be like those wacko born-again Christians. Those are the crazy Christians. But the reality, biblically, is this is not optional. This is Christianity. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. But if you are born again, through the imperishable living and enduring word of God that endures forever, not like the perishable earth and creation and ourselves this gospel that is your reality you will always and forever be a christian nothing can separate you from his love no one can pluck you out of his hand if you are truly born again adopted into his family you are his forever and ever and ever i was in a meeting recently of local pastors and unexpectedly uh, our membership process was kind of put under the microscope it was intended to be done well but it kind of became scrutinized by one of our pastors and how do you become a member of the crossing well you got to be in a mission community for three months and you we ask you to read this book so you understand what it means to be a member of a church and you need to be interviewed by one of our elders to hear your story and and give evidence for your life in Christ and where are you now and how can we care for you and you got to sign a church covenant and he's like, well, what if I don't want to do all that? Well, you can't be a member. You can come. You can do a lot of stuff. But but we we, we we feel like membership should mean something. And we feel like being a member of a local church means that you are a regenerate believer. In other words, you are born again. And it's our way of doing the best that we can of determining if that is true or not. Like we can't see into your soul. We don't have access to the Lamb's book of life. You can profess faith in Jesus, but there's going to be people standing before Jesus one day who will declare all the powerful works and miracles they've done in Jesus' name, and Jesus will say in Matthew uh, 7, he tells us, depart from me, I never knew you. So profession of faith alone doesn't mean you're born again. And so we give time for us and for you to examine your lives. Do you see the fruits of genuine faith and genuine repentance? As you. Share your story and open your life up to this body. Does it seem like Jesus is the engine of your soul? And when you join, that's our way of saying to the best of our ability, this person really seems to have Jesus alive inside of them. And the flip side is true. It could be a day where someone who became a member consistently over time denies by their lifestyle that they know and love Jesus. and we haven't had to do this yet, but we stand before you in a members meeting and say, as best as we can tell, this, no longer, this person no longer believes and we should treat them as an unbeliever. Which doesn't mean shun ever. It means to pursue in love with the gospel, but as a lost person, not a brother and sister in Christ. This is how essential being born again is to who we are. And this is not practiced by all denominations and all churches. Some churches, you're just born into the church. Of course you're a Christian. Your parents baptize you. Boom, you're good. We, it's part of being Baptist. we believe church members should be born again. The entire world is made up of over 17,000 ethnic groups, according to the Joshua Project. Distinct ethnic and language groups. There's 522 in the U.S. alone. In the U.S., there are over 420 registered political parties. You just thought there were two. We forgot about the birthday cake party. I mean, there's all kinds of political parties. Thousands of, birthday party, not birthday cake, I don't know. Thousands of colleges and hundreds of professional sports teams that g- grab our allegiance. Like, everyone's an FAU fan right now. Let's see them win the national title, Right. There are now 94, I looked this up last night, 94 different ways you can describe your gender. And male and female, the way we've used for thousands of years, is not two of them. We have so many variety of ways that we group ourselves and describe ourselves, but it spiritually can be boiled down into two groups, born again and not born again. You're born of God, born from above, child of God, or You're not. You're part of the kingdom of God, or you're part of the kingdom of darkness. It crosses all cultural lines, all ethnic lines, all language lines, all political affiliations. This is how all of people on earth could be categorized. The the most clear division that will ever exist. John writes in John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him... He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are born of God, born from above. A few chapters later, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, who if any man could enter the kingdom of heaven on his own, it would have been Nicodemus. He, not just because he was a Pharisee and and these guys, I know they're mostly the enemies of Jesus, but he really was they were really esteemed. They obeyed the law, they knew the law. But Nicodemus also was humble and teachable. He later became a believer. But he wasn't just opposed to Jesus from the jump because Jesus was infringing on his territory as a spiritual authority in that era, in that part of the world. He came quietly, like respectfully, to Jesus in the nighttime, secretly, so others he wouldn't cause all this tension wouldn't cause himself grief. He wanted to know more. Who is this Jesus? What are you teaching? And Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot, cannot see the kingdom of God. And this mystified him. Like as smart as he was, as much as he knew the scriptures, he had no category for this. And he responded with the ridiculous question, Well, how can a man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? That's the most ridiculous thing you could say. Obviously, he's not talking about that, Nicodemus. But Jesus doesn't uh, ridicule him. He's always gracious with those who are teachable. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, verse 5, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Unless someone is born of the water and the Spirit, which is not Jesus making a a distinction between uh, physical birth and spiritual birth. He's not making a distinction or trying to introduce water baptism. Nicodemus understood all these things. What he didn't understand was this new birth, second birth. So being born of the water and being born of the spirit are really two Old Testament images Jesus is bringing forward to help him understand. We're cleansed and we're given new life. The spirit moves inside of us. and This is what makes us a new person. You're born of the flesh, you're flesh. That's, we're all born like that. But whoever's born of the spirit has a spirit inside of them. Your first birth isn't enough to make it into the kingdom of heaven. We all have to have a second birth. And this he didn't understand. You must be born spiritually. When we're born physically, we're not born in a state of being alive spiritually, but we inherit the sin nature from our parents. We're born dead in our sins, and we need to be buried with Christ, raised from the dead spiritually, given new life in him. And this is what it means to be born again, born from above. And this happens, as we see in 1 Peter, through the word of God, the gospel. And it's not a work of us as much as it's a work of God. We saw earlier in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus died for our sins so we could be forgiven. Jesus rose from the dead so we could live. Jesus said in his last hours with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion in John 14, Uh, In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. We are alive because he is alive. Through the word of God, through the gospel, the life of God that is imperishable, never fading or extinguishing comes to live inside of us to such a degree that we could be described as someone who has had a second birth. We are born again. For some, that can be a very radical conversion experience. That's my story. I've shared before with a bunch of you. You could go to the place and the time, a date on the calendar, a location on earth, and say, that's where Christ moved in. That's when he made me a new person. I received the second birth. But for others of you, you can't point to a day on the calendar or a time and place, but you know with every fiber of your being, Jesus has come in and made you a new person. Jesus is alive in you. And that's the story of a lot of people. It's the story we, we hope it's for our kids. Like they just have always believed because we've been discipling them and gospeling. there's no radical conversion necessary for them because they haven't run so far from God. So yes, in one sense, the weight of this should cause us to examine ourselves. Have I been born again? Have I come alive in Christ? Does the life of Jesus live inside of me? The entire book of First John was written, verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. He wrote an entire book of the New Testament so you would know. So for some of you, you may need to take a book like 1 John, sit down with the Spirit of God and say, okay, help me to know. Help me to know that I have eternal life. And just start reading and trust the Spirit of God to speak to the Word of God and do this work in your soul. Ask Him to help you to know that you have eternal life. Jesus defined eternal life in John 17 as knowing God. Do you not know about God? Everyone knows about God. Do you know God? Everyone knows about Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, historical figures. We know about famous people. We know about Taylor Swift. But me and her aren't tight. We'll be in a few weeks when I go to her concert. But right now, she doesn't know who I am. But do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And and so, yes, that work needs to be done. None of us should ever assume salvation. Our posture should never be, well, of course, I'm saved. Look how amazing I am. We always are surprised by grace. We're always humbled by his mercy. Yes, he saved me, and yes, he keeps saving me, even though I see so many reasons why he shouldn't. But when you get to the place of knowing, okay, this is me. I'm his. He's alive in me. I've been born again. Then you can rest. The life you have in him is eternal. It's never fading, never perishing. You are secure. You are safe. And I don't mean, like, rest like you plop down on a lounge chair on a cruise ship. Like, rest in the sense, all right, let's get to work. Because this is so amazing what he's given me. I got I to gotta let other people get in on this. Let me go live this radical life of holiness and obedience, this radical life of faith and hope. I was watching recently an episode of The Chosen, and it's right when Jesus was sending uh, the disciples out two by two. And I'm not worried about spoilers. I mean, it's the Gospels, basically. But we we know they add details that the Scriptures aren't clear on to help us imagine, is this what it could have been like? And everything I've seen so far, I could see it being like that. It's really good. And so he's about to send them out two by two, and they're going to go proclaim the Gospel, and they're going to go heal people and cast out demons. And he's explaining this to these 12 disciples, that this is what they're about to go do. And they're just flabbergasted, like they're sitting around a room like, really? Are you serious? You want us to go do what you've been doing? They didn't see in themselves the ability and the power to do that. And they saw how people treated Jesus. Not everybody liked him. So they were afraid that they were going to receive the same persecution and rejection. And they kind of worked through probably a real struggle that they had, knowing the disciples as we know them, to get to that place where like, okay, let's go do this. He believes in us. He's given us his power. And we too sometimes sit on the brink of obedience and we wonder, how can I obey? How can I do what I know Jesus wants me to do? And we doubt if his power will be enough and we are fearful of the consequences. Like maybe it's going to radically change how I live my life. It's going to cost me a lot. I don't know if I want to do that. And sometimes we retreat to comfort And then sometimes by His grace, we get out of the boat and we walk on water. See, in this passage, we have the living and abiding and enduring and powerful word of God and life of God alive in us, and it never fades. It it never flickers out. You never have to change the batteries. It's always there. We can obey the radical commands of the gospel in the face of persecution in the face of discomfort, because the life and hope that we have can never be extinguished. It's in Jesus. He's alive. He's alive in us. And nothing and no one can change that reality. And so when you see the commands of Scripture, they are never burdensome. They're never impossible because of this. We have everything we need in Jesus to obey every command he's given us, including the focus of this passage. Verse 22. Let's come back to this, the meat. The meat. So that you show sincere, brotherly, love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. We have put our faith and hope in the gospel. We've obeyed the truth. We've been born again to do a lot of things. But in this passage, like the very next passage we'll get to, there's no chapter headings in the original. The very next passage, rid yourself of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all stuff. Like that's hard too. But this passage is about love. Love one another with sincerity, purity, consistency. To love one another with sincerity. Sincere means genuine. It's not faked. It's not forced. It's real. And honestly, that's getting harder to do in our increasingly cynical age. We're cynical, and the people we're trying to love are cynical. getting harder to do when we don't give each other grace, when we don't give the benefit of the doubt, when we assume the worst about each other, or when we make all kinds of rules and hoops for people to jump through, that if you don't do exactly this, then you don't really love me. And so to some degree, it's not on us. We can do the best we can do to know the people we are loving, to love them in in good, accurate ways, to let it flow from a heart that really loves them But we have no control over if they'll receive it. Sometimes people are so hurt and wounded, it could take years for them to let their guard down and receive love. But what we can control is how genuine our attempts are, how sincere we are. And sincerity for you might be pulling back and praying from a distance, giving them space. And that's hard to do. We want to fix it. waiting for the Spirit of God to work. Because even sincere love, genuine love, as, as good as you think you're doing to love them in sincere ways, it can't be coerced. It's also love that is pure, so there's no ulterior motives. This isn't, I'm loving you to get you to love me. or I'm showing you this version of love that you want, but really, I'm manipulating you to get what I want. We can do some really sick things in our relationships. We have been loved purely through Jesus, and we are now a channel for his love to others. And so we give it away. No strings attached. Give it away. Just give it away. He gave it to you freely, and you give it to others freely. No reciprocation required. It's freely given. And again, it's really hard. As best as you can tell, your love is genuine and sincere. And as best as you can tell, you're giving it away freely. No strings attached. And when it's never or hardly ever reciprocated, it just feels like you're burning emotional currency. Why keep putting myself out there to be ignored or to be hurt? And then there's the last part, constantly, like we never give up. It's consistent, so we're not so fickle that all the people in our life are walking on eggshells because they don't know what version of us is going to show up today. but it's consistent and it's constant like we never quit we never give up we never walk away you can count on it today and by God's grace you can count on it on my last day now what if just this community of believers this small community of believers known as The Crossing loved each other like this sincerity purity consistency constancy Not the lost, not our extended families, just us. Or if that's too hard, (laughs) what about if just our missional communities did it? Let's do an experiment. Six months of just pure, unadulterated love. No strings attached, freely given, no manipulation, consistent. Like how contagious would that be? And if that seems impossible, how about just our family units? Just the people in our house. Let's invite all the singles in too. Let's just love each other. Could we just do that? Like if you struggle to love certain people in your life, if you struggle to be loved by certain people, if you can't trust your own heart to give this kind of love, if your heart has been too wounded to receive this kind of love, if you've tried and tried and tried and you are tired of trying, if your immediate reaction to certain people is to recoil and not love and be loved, if you struggle to let others in, if you struggle to love the difficult ones, if you've lived long enough for this kind of relational tension to make obedience to this verse seem impossible, there is hope. There has to be hope. If there's no hope, then we're just going to to descend into despair and apathy. There has to be hope for this. Two ways we see hope. Earlier in verse 13, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when this kind of love is not only possible, it will be the only kind of love we experience. What day is that? the day that is the revelation of Jesus Christ, when He returns and makes all things new. When that day comes, this will be the only love we experience among our brothers and sisters in Christ. The brothers and sisters in Christ that you currently go to church with that you may struggle to love, the ones who live in your house and eat food at your table, the ones who show up at the holidays are really hard to love, the co-workers, the friends and the neighbors, like sometimes we get glimpses of this when it's really good between maybe a husband and wife or parent and child or our friends. We're like, man, this is so good. Why can't it always be like this? And, and then we have the, other, the opposite of that. We have those days when it's so bad we don't think it'll ever be good again, right? So we get snippets. We get like hors d'oeuvres, an appetizer of what's to come. But there will be a day when it's all we will experience. Perfect relational harmony with everyone forever. Never a crossword. Never an assumption gone wrong. Never a questioned motive. Just pure relational. Like, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about heaven, streets of gold, or mansions, or... Uh, will my pets be in heaven? Will my dogs be in heaven? We know cats won't be in heaven, but will other animals be in heaven? Will we play sports? Obviously, we play golf and basketball. I don't know about the rest of them. We talk about all kinds of stuff when it comes to heaven. This is really what I long for, relational harmony. And the older I get, the more I see and experience relational breakdown, the more I long for that. So, So we have hope because... As bad as it can be now, it won't always be like this. There won't always be tension between you and that person. But we also have hope. Like what changes that reality? What changes to make that a reality? When Jesus returns, it makes all things new. So the second reason we have hope to give and receive love like this now is that same Jesus is here now, alive in us, alive in you and me. This is possible now not going to be perfect but it is possible we just have to be crazy enough to believe him and obey and walk through it not easy we have to speak the truth sometimes share hard things with people that we love because you can't have love apart from truth okay jesus who do i struggle to give this kind of love to who do i struggle to receive this kind of love from Knowing I'm not gonna do it perfectly, and they won't either. But part of this kind of love is letting love cover a multitude of sins and imperfections and just giving lots of grace. Like my kids don't love me perfectly. I don't love them perfectly. I sat down to dinner the other night, and the three little ones all had three different plans of what they wanted to do after supper. We're gonna play ninja turtles, we're gonna I'm gonna destroy you on this game on the switch. That's what he told me. I didn't tell him that. And uh, the other one said, the other one's good at a guilt trip. Uh, when are we going to watch soccer and football again? I'm like, I can't love them perfectly. I can't live up to all their expectations. I can't do everything for them. But I didn't reprimand them or rebuke them. Quit putting pressure on me. I'm busy. They're kids. They're trying to connect to me in the only way that they know how to connect to me. So it's one day, one day, guys, we're going to do it all. And you give lots of grace to people who don't love you perfectly. And We can do the same thing for each other. Extend that grace that we have received when others don't get it quite right. Extend the grace that we have received when they haven't been trying like we think they should have been trying. Extend the grace when they try again and still don't get it right. This is part of the love. This is what we have been given, as we saw in the previous passage, being loved by Jesus so much, he shed his precious blood for us. We certainly did nothing to deserve that. We are only sinners, but he gave. And now he lives in us to give his love to, each, to us so that we can give this love to each other. It's the only way this works, but it always works this way. Several questions of application I've offered along the way. Do you know that you've been born again? Do you know that Jesus is alive in you? How then does that reality become the engine for your obedience, namely to love one another With genuineness, purity, and constancy. And then, thirdly, who are you struggling to love? Who are you struggling to receive love from? And how does the love you've been given by Jesus help you work through that struggle? Um, There's nothing more than like you're in a room surrounded by people who want to help you work through these things, not just the elders, yes, the elders, but brothers and sisters in Christ. So. And whatever way you want to work through those questions now, like um, when we're done a little while and we're going to have lunch um, this week as missional communities gather for meals, as DNA groups meet. But work through that struggle with brothers and sisters who will love you and speak the truth to you and help you and encourage you. Um, And for some, if it's related to have you been born again, like you may need to work through the reality of the gospel in your heart. and, And we'd love to do that. We'd love to help you to see that you have been born again or that you need to be born again. But uh, now we want to pray. We want to share in communion together, this weekly reminder of the and work of Jesus, that we are so sinful he had to die, but we are so loved he was glad to die for us. So take a few moments, uh, and when you're ready, I'm going to pray for you. Take a few moments. When you're ready, come and receive the elements, and then you return to your seats, and we'll share in this meal together. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your love that is eternal that is powerful that is sufficient for you to come and and offer your precious blood for our sins for you to to make us alive in you to give us the second birth all the ways in which we most need healing and redemption and hope and joy y- you provide all of it you are sufficient for our greatest needs we thank you. We want to celebrate. We want to remember with some somberness that, that we are sinful and you had to die for us, but we also want to celebrate you gladly got on the cross to redeem your people. In whatever ways uh, the truth of this passage has uh, settled in and settled in the hearts of your people this morning, may you do good work now And and as we leave and as we go back into our Lives continue to do good work. For your glory, by your grace, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name.